Okay, well, we made it. 2022 is in the books, and we are on the brink of a bright and shiny new year. And it is uh, 1042 on January 1st, which means that there's like a good chance that some of you are still going strong with your New Year's resolutions. (laughs) So congratulations if that's you this morning. Personally, I've always held to the belief that New Year's resolutions don't actually start until the Monday uh, after New Year's. And so maybe some of you are like me and you just haven't started yet. Uh, Maybe some of you are the kinds of people who gave up on New Year's resolutions a long time ago. I mean, you are a pretty exceptional group of people, right? Once you hit perfection, where is there to go? But whether you are a resolution person or not, the beginning of a new year is traditionally one of those times where we reflect, where we reflect on where we've been, on where we're at, and on where we'd like to go in the year ahead. It's one of those times where we think about who we, want to co- uh, who we want to become and what changes we might need to make in order to get there. It's one of those times when we naturally tend to reflect on our hopes and our dreams for the future and wonder if this might be the year where we finally see them realized. And maybe you're here this morning and you are brimming with hope and anticipation about the opportunities that 2023 will hold. And maybe you are motivated and eager to make some changes in your life uh, to just to get things more aligned to the direction that you want to be heading. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling a little bit more skeptical. Maybe you're feeling a little bit more hesitant to get your hopes up about the year ahead. Maybe you're here and you're tired and you're weary and you're still reeling from all of the ways that life has been turned around sideways and upside down over and over again over these last few years. Every year, Oxford Dictionary names uh, a word of the year which is a word that kind of captures the ethos or the mood of the year that just passed. And does anyone know what Oxford, uh, the Oxford word of the year was for 2022? It's goblin mode. Goblin mode. <laughs> That's not a word that you have worked into your vocabulary on a day-to-day basis, Stephen. No. Okay, well, just in case any, anyone else is kind of uh, unsure of what it means, goblin mode is defined as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms and expectations. So if that's you, if that's kind of where you've been at lately, there's a word for it. Now you know. And as fun as it might be uh, to joke about our shared inability to hold it together in some of these areas, I'm sure there's a lot of great jokes on the internet these days, and as liberating as it may be to feel, uh, as it may feel to be able to just break free from some of the social pressures that we all experience, Some psychologists have weighed in and expressed their concerns 
about the deeper struggle that so many of us are experiencing in the aftermath of everything that we've gone through. Susan Zinn, who is a psychotherapist from Los Angeles, described it this way. She said, in goblin mode, an individual will do anything not to feel. An individual will do anything not to feel. We're still carrying so much grief and anxiety. There's still so much conflict in our world. And it's taking a toll, and it's making it difficult for some of us to imagine a hopeful future or work up the energy uh, to take steps towards something new, even on New Year's Day. But regardless of where you're at along the spectrum from optimistic and motivated to goblin mode, there is something about new beginnings that is central to the gospel. And a new year does come with an invitation to enter into the fullness of new life that Jesus has for us. Not by trying really hard, Uh, to make ourselves change, not by implementing a three-step self-help plan to become our best selves, and not by just holding our breath and hoping that the world around us finally changes as though our circumstances need to fall in place in order to be who God's calling us to be. But by opening ourselves up to the God of resurrection, to the God who makes all things new, by fixing our attention on him and learning to see the world through his eyes, by letting go and by leaning into his transforming grace. Now, often, uh, when we get through Christmas, we are eager to put away the decorations and wrap the whole thing up. Christmas in our culture can feel like such a whirlwind, and even if you are the kind of person who loves Christmas, there can be some relief when all of the turkeys have been eaten and all of the gifts have been opened up, when the whole rigmarole is finished. This year, I spent Christmas Day with my uh, nephew, Ethan, who's seven, and for weeks and weeks, Ethan has just been uh, so excited, just looking forward to Christmas, talking about it all the time. He's been drawing Christmas pictures and writing out wish lists and making gifts uh, and cards to give to people. He has been so wildly excited. And then finally, Christmas came and he opened all his gifts on Christmas morning and the family came over and we had Christmas dinner together. Uh, His dreams came true. He became a father to two very adorable guinea pigs. It was like everything he dreamed it to be. But then there was that moment. There was the moment. You know the moment. We were sitting on the couch. Everybody else had kind of left the house and he looked at me in the quiet And he said, I can't believe it's over. (laughs) Christmas is over. And I think that the reason we tend to think that way is because the Christmas pageants always ends with Mary and Joseph snuggling baby Jesus while the shepherds and the wise men and the barn animals all kind of look on affectionately. We get to that point in the story And the scene ends, and the curtains close. But here's the thing. What Mary and Joseph knew as they held that baby in their arms 
what the shepherds knew and the wise men knew as they made their way towards Jesus and as they saw him face to face was that through him, God was doing something new. That everything was about to change forever. And that the world would never be the same because of what God would do through this newborn king. And if you have your Bible, you can open it up with me to Luke 2, verses 25 to 35. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about an encounter that took place shortly after Jesus was born. When Mary and Joseph went to the temple to fulfill the requirements of the law of Moses with baby Jesus. And this is one of those passages that's just like full of beauty and power. So as we read through it, I want to encourage you to just kind of let yourself imagine this interaction uh, playing out. It says this, Luke 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, listen to this, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. And so we hear about this man, Simeon, This is the only place in scripture uh, that we actually hear about Simeon, and all we really know about him is that he was a man who was faithful to God. He was patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promises to Israel. After generations of what felt like silence from God at a time when the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans, when they had been uh, stripped of so much of their identity, Simeon continued to live by faith. He trusted that God would be faithful to his people, that he'd be faithful to his promises. And somehow uh, God had revealed to him that he wouldn't die until the Messiah came, until he'd seen the Messiah. And then one day, Simeon feels led by the Spirit to go to the temple. And there they are. Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And the first thing that Simeon does before he offers any words is he takes Jesus into his arms. And we're going to get just a wee bit nerdy for just a minute. Uh, There's actually a play on words uh, in the Greek that Luke uses here. Um, The word that's used for take is a word that I can't say. You probably won't remember, so I won't even say it. But the word that's used for take is a word that can also be used to talk about hopeful waiting. And so earlier in the passage, this is the word that was used to say that Simeon had been waiting for the Messiah. 
And now here, in taking Jesus into his arms, he receives, he welcomes, he embraces the one that he'd been waiting for. And then he says, now is the time. Now is the time. Sovereign God, let me die in peace. I have seen your salvation. As he held Jesus in his arms, he knew that the waiting was over. God was doing a new thing. All of the hope and peace and salvation that God had promised had broken into the world through this tiny baby that he was holding in his arms. And everything was about to change. And then Luke tells us this, verse 33. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So Simeon gives uh, this warning that as good as the news of Jesus' arrival was, that things weren't going to go as expected, that there would be people who would receive Jesus and experience healing and hope and salvation, but there would also be people who would reject Jesus. Danielle uh, Strickland tells a story about her friend who's named Annie, Uh, from the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is the poorest neighborhood in Canada. Um, Danielle met Annie when she was there, living and doing ministry with folks who were living in the margins in that community. And Annie is somebody who was living with both mental illness and addiction. And uh, one day, Annie had found herself in the psych ward, and she had invited Danielle to to visit her there. And so Danielle went to go and visit Annie at this uh, psych ward. And Annie was uh, so excited when Danielle came, and she was uh, most excited to show her the craft room in the psych ward. She said it was the best of all of the craft rooms and all of the psych wards that she had been to, which was like quite a lot. And so she took Danielle by the hand, and she started leading her uh, to this craft room. And as they were on their way, uh, Annie said, wait till you see what I've done. You're going to love it. And so Danielle started to get some, um, some anxiety, like just like hoping that when she saw the art that she would be able to like recognize it and identify what it was, because obviously it meant a lot to Annie and she didn't want her to feel disappointed. So she's worrying about this. And then Annie opens the door uh, to the craft room and any of that anxiety that she was feeling was immediately lifted because it was completely clear what Annie had done. She had taken one of those big rolls of paper that you use to cover tables, you know, those big uh, paper rolls. I'm sure many of you have covered many a table uh, with those paper rolls. And she used it to cover the entire uh, bulletin board. Like she hung it up over everyone else's artwork. And in great big uh, black letters, she'd written this. What will you do with the king of Israel? What will you do with the king of Israel? And isn't that the question? Isn't that the question before each one of us? 
It's the question that stood before everyone who encountered Jesus as he went about his ministry. What would they do with this rabbi who was disrupting their religious systems and their structures of power? What would they do with this rabbi who told them to love their enemies, who sat around tables with those that they believed to be unclean? What would they do with this rabbi who performed miracles and healed the sick and taught with authority but was nothing like what they were expecting in a Messiah? What would they do with the king of Israel? Throughout the Gospels, we see some of the different ways uh, that people responded to Jesus. There were people who were just clinging so tightly uh, to their power that they were threatened by Jesus. There were people who were clinging tightly to their wealth or to their status or to their comfort, and they weren't willing to lay those things down to give them up to follow him. There were people who thought that Jesus was out of his mind, specifically his family. It's always the family, isn't it? He was challenged and he was rejected and he was ultimately crucified by the religious and the political leaders of his day. But the people who recognized their need for Jesus, the people who saw Jesus for who he really was, were willing to overcome any barrier in order to get to him. Luke 19 tells us about a man named Zacchaeus. Some of you are familiar with Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector who was hated by his community, and Zacchaeus was too short to see over the crowds of people uh, as Jesus was coming through. And so what he did is this grown man climbed up a tree. He climbed up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus ended up noticing him and inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. And then Zacchaeus has this life-changing encounter with Jesus that ends with him giving away half of his possessions and repaying anyone that he'd ripped off uh, four times over. Luke 5 tells us about a man who was paralyzed, who needed healing, and his friends were carrying him on a mat, just trying to get him to Jesus so that he could be healed. But the crowds were in the way. And so they couldn't get through. And so they climbed up onto the roof and they tore it up and they lowered their friend down to Jesus so he could be healed. Luke 8 Tells, about, tells us about a woman who had a condition where she'd been bleeding for 12 years. A woman who'd been uh, isolated, who was rejected, who was considered unclean, who faced her fear and her shame and who even risked her safety by making her way through the crowds to get to Jesus and touching his robe so that she could be healed. And he did more than just heal her. He stopped He showed her his love. He he restored her dignity. Mark 10 tells us about a man uh, named Bartimaeus who was blind and who heard that Jesus was coming through his neighborhood. So he started calling out to Jesus, asking for his mercy, and person after person told him to stop, to be quiet, to fade back into the background where they believed that he belonged but he refused. He just kept crying out and eventually Jesus called him over and asked him what he wanted 
and healed him. All kinds of people with all kinds of needs did whatever was necessary to overcome the barriers they faced and get themselves before Jesus. They overcame uh, their fears and their shame. They tore down physical barriers. They used their voices when they were being told to be quiet. They didn't just step out of their comfort zones. They leapt out of their comfort zones. And everyone who came to Jesus with an open heart experienced his love and received healing and restoration. Those who followed him learned to live in a whole new way and ultimately discovered that what they experienced through Christ was worth giving up their entire lives for. What will you do with the king of Israel? As we round the corner from the Christmas season into a brand new year, I think that that's the question that stands before us. What will we do with this God who loved us so much that he came into the world as a vulnerable newborn baby so that he could experience everything we experience as human beings and so he could show us how to live? What will we do with this king who died on a cross and rose again so that we could be set free from our sin and experience real and eternal life? What will we do with this invitation to surrender our lives to him and to experience and extend his kingdom of love here in our worlds? Even for those of us who are committed to following Jesus, there are all kinds of things that get in the way of our relationship with him. We live in a fast-paced world We live in a world where busyness is even kind of seen as a status symbol. We spend so many of our days rushing from one place to the next, and often there simply isn't any margin to spend time with Jesus or to let his spirit lead us into doing something new. We live in a world that's full of distractions, where we tend to fill every free moment we have scrolling through social media or the news or watching funny cat videos. And so often we struggle to be attentive to God's presence and the ways that he's working in our lives. Last week I had one of those experiences where I went to grab my phone and it was dead. And I didn't have my charger with me. And so at first I felt like really frustrated and even anxious. Uh, But then I just kind of like decided, I had no choice. I decided I'm just going to embrace it. And suddenly I felt so free. Have you ever had that happen? It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that every now and then we just need to unplug and be present. We live in a world where we're made to believe that we'll finally be happy when we accumulate enough stuff or when we reach a certain social status. I was listening to a podcast this week with a professor from uh, Harvard University, and he was talking about happiness. And he said that the reason happiness is so elusive is because our brains and our culture and our entertainment and our marketing industries all sell us this formula for happiness that simply does not work. They tell us that the formula for happiness is this. Love things, which is a way to measure your own success. Use people, because they are instrumental in your success. And worship yourself, because everything revolves around you. 
And then he said this. That is almost the perfect formula for misery. And so often we get duped into believing that we'll find satisfaction in these other places and our priorities get thrown out of whack as we chase after happiness and fulfillment where we will never find it. So what is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus? And what would it look like to do whatever it takes to overcome that barrier and to move into the new year more uh, focused on Jesus and anchored in his love? What would it look like to lay down the things that you've been clinging to and to open your arms to embrace Jesus with your whole self, like Simeon? What would it look like to, like Simeon, to have eyes that are open for the ways that God's salvation is being worked out in your life and in the world? Regardless of where we're at as we move into this new year, that is the invitation before us. Whether you are a resolution person and you've got your goals and your strategic plans all mapped out for the year ahead, or whether you're just trying to survive each day right now, whether you're feeling hopeful and optimistic about the way things are moving in your life or things are looking like they are going to be hard for you for the next little while, you are invited to this relationship of intimacy with the God who makes all things new with the God who promised that he's working everything out for the good of those who love him. We have a God who came into the world to be with us. He's with us in the good times and the bad times, in our joys and in our struggles. He's with us in our successes and our failures and in our strengths and in our weaknesses. And we can be sure that whatever comes in 2023, he will be there with us, covering us with his love and wrapping us up in his grace and leading us forward. As Danielle was standing in the craft room of the psych ward, staring at that great big poster that read, uh, what will you do with the king of Israel? She noticed that Annie had written down her own answer in tiny red letters at the bottom of the page. And this is what it said. It said, kiss his son. Kiss his son. It's a pretty profound answer. What would your answer to that question be? What will you do with the king of Israel? Whatever other hopes and ambitions we might have for the year ahead, may we be people who let our love for Jesus be at the very heart of all that we are and all that we do. I'm going to close by reading Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 uh, from the message. It's just a beautiful uh, way that Paul kind of captures what it looks like when we're living out of that love. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. 
Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what we just celebrated, for the reality that you came to be with us in Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you lived the perfect life and that you went to the cross and died and rose again so that we could experience freedom and wholeness and new life in you. And I pray that as we head into this new year that you would anchor us once again in your love, that you would be at the center of all that we are and all that we do. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Soren Kierkegaard once said that life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We experience that. We kind of look behind and you see how things uh, came together in a way that you weren't able to see at the time. Often it's only when we look back that we're able to see how God was working in situations that didn't seem to make sense when we were living through them. Often it's in looking back that we're able to see how God was faithful to us and how he has uh, worked in our lives to do things that we couldn't even ask or imagine. And taking the time to stop and notice and express gratitude for God for those things helps us to move into the uh, future with just a deeper sense of clarity and faith and even hope. And so this morning, we're going to do a practice called the examine. And we've, we've done that before uh, here at Evergreen. And we're going to uh, walk through an exam and just to kind of spend some time reflecting back over the year that just passed, paying attention to how God was moving in 2022 and just asking him how he's calling us to move forward into 2023. And so as we prepare to enter into this practice, I'm going to invite you to just uh, center yourself in God's presence. You can take a few deep breaths. Let yourself be reminded that God is here, that he is closer than the air that you're breathing. And as you breathe in and breathe out, maybe even just imagine yourself breathing in the love of God. First, I'm going to invite you to take a few minutes to think about what you're thankful for as you reflect back over 2022. You think about the year that passed, even going all the way back to January. What are you thankful for? Just spend some time thanking God, showing, uh, expressing your gratitude to God for the gifts that he's given you. I'm going to invite you to take a minute to think about 
what you experienced in 2022 that was difficult, to just reflect on those situations and to hold them before God. Now, thinking back over 2022, how did you experience God's faithfulness? Maybe in those difficult situations or maybe in other ways, how did you experience God's faithfulness? shift our attention to the year ahead. What do you need to let go of as we move into this coming year? What do you need to let go of? You need to lay down before God. What is God inviting you into? What's God calling you into as we move into 2023? Just take a moment to even ask him to to reveal that to you now. God, we thank you that you are a God who is with us. We thank you that you are a God who is always on the move, even when in the moment sometimes we miss it. And Jesus, I pray that as we reflect back on the past year, that you would just continue to help us process that, that you would help us to heal, to grieve where we need to grieve, that you would help us to move forward where we need to move forward. And that as we move into the year ahead, God, that you would help us to do that with a renewed sense of your love, of your presence, and of the purpose that you've given us, of who you're calling us to be. Jesus, let us to be, be people who live attentive to your spirit and in obedience to what you're calling us to do. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the peace and hope and joy that you bring us. God, help us to embrace those things fully. In your name we pray. Amen.